0: Under the hood <laughs> with Jonathan Hood. Let's get him. Tim crushes this ball. He throws the bat. The ball goes flying and it it's gone. Under the hood, behind the scenes, nobody really sees. Four runs right in the
1: air deep. Is it enough? It's gone!
2: Ball game over! Hey, I'm hot.
1: Jonathan Hood.
0: I'm hot. Brubisky, Robinson. The so touchdown bear! Back with the interception. And Mac will take it all the way in for a touchdown.
3: A lot of this is behind the scenes or under the hood.
0: The and it He didn't come for the massage. He came for the show. Oh, baby. Woo! Jonathan Hood. Oh Put a That's body on that man. man. He he breaks the hole. Swift's got running room. Swift got to go! 30, 20, 10, 5, touchdown, Swift! Under the hood with Jonathan Hood. Uh, the man. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app.
2: Jeff Meller, Chris Black in for Jonathan Hood this evening. We've been talking a lot of football. Touched upon a lot of Bears early in the show. We discussed the latest from Bourbon A with Patrick Finley of Chicago Sun-Times. We moved on to a little Ezekiel Elliott talk and the importance of the running back position. In the 8 o'clock hour, along with uh, Kevin Cole of Pro Football Focus. And up now in this hour, we've got uh, Jason Wildy, who will give us the latest on the Green Bay Packers. The Bears' biggest rival and their opener for the NFL opener, which will be taking place on Thursday night at Soldier Field. Not this Thursday night, but the Thursday night opener. Of course, this Thursday night, we will be having the Bears' first preseason game against the Carolina Panthers in which Cam Newton will not be playing. Ron Rivera announced today.
3: Yeah, and uh, probably neither uh, many of the Bears starters will play either. And uh, Jeff, we're about a month away from that kickoff for the opener of the NFL season. And I can't wait. Uh, Bears Packers on the lakefront. It's going to be fantastic. And uh, I'm excited to see this team amped up with all the hype that we have heading into this season. Uh, It's almost like we haven't had something this uh, hyped in quite some time. You know, the fact that Super Bowl aspirations are actually on the table. Usually we're just hoping the team's competitive. Usually we're just hoping maybe we can make the playoffs. But this year, really, the the goal is on the table, and we know exactly what it is. Get to at least the NFC Championship game, if not advance to the Super Bowl, to have a successful
2: season. The Bears released their first depth. Chart today and no real surprises. All right. David Montgomery listed as the third string running back. I think that's just a move to placate veterans. Yes. Tariq Cohen and Mike Davis. Eventually, we expect David Montgomery to probably be the featured back for the Bears. If he's not, things have gone awry. I will tell you that.
3: You know, depth charts when it comes to running backs, as you know, as the fantasy expert here at ESPN 1000, is once we get to the regular season, all that matters is who's getting touches. Absolutely. So, So, like, they can list whatever they want for david montgomery but i think all of us bears fans and everyone else around the national football league all kind of have our eye on david montgomery as ah that's probably the rookie running back that's going to turn into a star player this football season especially in fantasy football as well
2: yeah and we've been talking about mitchell trubisky and just how good he needs to be in order to make this bears team a super bowl contender and hopefully winner Kurt Warner, Hall of Fame quarterback, was on with Carmen and Yurko earlier today, and they asked him how he feels about the Bears.
0: Well, I mean, I I love their chances. You know, just based personnel-wise, I mean, with what they did last year uh, with a a second-year quarterback, um, you know, I I think we were all impressed. And, you know, we're close to being able to advance after that, um, you know, the the first playoff game. But I think you expect bigger things, you know, the changes that – Defensive coordinator. I, I'm interested to see how that plays out because they were so good defensively last year. Can they be even better than that? Um, and then, of course, offensively, I, I think you know the big thing is you know where does where does Mitch go? You know how good can he be? I think we saw glimpses, we saw moments. I thought Matt Nagy did a great job last year of creating big opportunities for him. Um, but I don't know if you can count on that year in and year out. At some point, he's going to have to be able to to kind of carry this team and play more conventional football, you would think, Um, you know, but you saw moments, like I said, that last drive in that playoff game, you know, he made some big time throws in that uh, situation and put his team in a position to to win that football game. So can he be more consistent with that sort of stuff? Um, That to me becomes, you know, kind of the biggest question with this team because come playoff time, you know, unless you have just that really special defense and really good run game, you got to get good play at the quarterback position, especially now that the game's kind of changed a little bit. Uh, that guy has to play well, and so can he take that next leap and, and I guess catapult the team to the next level.
2: That was uh, he left himself the outs there. If you can have a great running back, a great running game, <laughs> and uh, an elite defense, you can. You can unless you have that. But this Bears team might be able to have that, as you mentioned. David Montgomery is somebody who a lot of people are have high hopes for, and. With Matt Nagy calling the right plays, it is, I don't think, out of the realm of possibilities that Mitchell Trubisky, just with the average play, can ride shotgun and, you know, help this Bears defense and solid running game win the Super Bowl. Well,
3: we saw it last year, Jeff. Uh, last year, Mitch Trubisky was average yep. at best. And he rode shotgun while this defense excelled. And while Matt Nagy uh, dazzled us here in Chicago with his play calling, you know, he really was allowed to just kind of be there, you know. And so, like, why can't that happen again this season? I think it can. And I think Trubisky will be better this season. So he doesn't have to just get through games. He can actually try and win you a game or two. So I think that's what we have to look at with This entire offense, and again, remember that this offense wasn't putting up eye-popping numbers last season either. Uh, You look at offensively in DVOA, they were 20th, and yards per play last year, they were 20th. Uh, So there's a lot of improvement that can take place with this offense in year two of Matt Nagy's system, and that's where you see this team defensively Hopefully, the offense can pick up a little bit of the slack so the defense doesn't have so much pressure on them. Because let's not forget, in the wild card game against the Eagles, the defense failed us in the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. Trubisky wasn't good in the first three quarters. He was good in the fourth. Uh, The kicker was terrible. Uh, Obviously, we know this. The defense also gave up some points in the fourth quarter where they could have shut down a Nick Folds and an Eagles offense and then win the football game. So so just keep that all in perspective. That defense was great last year, but when it was the most important moment of the season, they gave up a touchdown to then lose the game. I get it. Double doink happened. I understand that.
2: But but it all it all works towards the same thing. One more from Kurt Warner here before we bring in Jason Wildy to discuss the Packers and the Bears opponent in the NFL season opener. Kurt Warner was asked, Can this off can this Bears offense be great?
0: Well, I mean I think you can, you know, but I continually say that I think the biggest mismatches uh, in football or in the passing game are athletic tight ends and backs out of the backfield that um can catch the ball. And so obviously they have a really good back in three Cohen that can do that sort of stuff. So I think he becomes a big factor in that, um, you know, but, but tight ends, you know, that they're difference makers, you know, it's tough for linebackers when you have, you know, run fakes and play action and they have to play that stuff um, and then have to cover down the field with uh, big athletic tight ends. So uh, yeah, they can. I just think it makes it easier when you have, that other dynamic, um, you know, with those uh, with those kind of difference makers at tight end and running back position that it makes it really hard on a defense to match up down in and down out.
2: And that's Kurt Warner's thoughts on if the Bears' offense can be great if they don't have somebody like Trey Burton, who has missed four consecutive practices now and has been, as Nagy has said, he's, Just protecting him to make sure that uh, he is healthy and ready to go in week one.
3: Major piece of this offense, uh, you know, the way that Matt Nagy wants to spread the football around offensively, that you have to look at what's going on with this team play calling and what has happened in the past, especially with Kansas City and the Philadelphia Eagles, both running the same offense, both have tight ends that excel in those offenses. So Trey Burton is definitely needed for
2: the Bears heading forward. All right. So everyone in Chicago is hoping that Trey Burton will be ready to go for week one. But up in Green Bay, I think they could not care less as if Trey Burton will be on the field or not. And uh, to let us know what the latest in regards to the Packers is, Jason Wildy, who covers them for ESPN Milwaukee in Green Bay, joins us now on ESPN 1000. And I'm, and I'm told that we're actually in, he's Jason's ah. we're interrupting, Chris, as we spoke about earlier. Yes. We talked about the debut of Hard Knocks on HBO and. It is ten minutes in, and we are interrupting Jason Wilde's viewing of it. Yeah, Jason, Jason what's, hopefully
3: you've got the DVR <laughs> on pause. What's screwing up to there? What, what do you got?
1: I, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on, fellas. And uh, yes, uh, it is paused. Uh, I'm not going to be distracted. I would, if it was Waddle and Sylvie or Carmen <laughs> and Yurko, I would totally fake my way through and like continue to watch and just sort of babble. <laughs> but not for you guys. Um, I haven't seen Gruden yet. I saw A.B. Wow. flying in an uh, air balloon and uh, Derek Carr telling us how great A.B. is. So um, a strong, not-so-interesting start thus far. So, no, happy to be happy to be joined again.
2: So pretty formulaic, <laughs> except for maybe the, uh, bl- the hot air balloon there. But, uh, all right, Jason, we're all curious. I'm sure everyone in the NFL is. What is the relationship with Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur like uh, these, uh, you know, now that you're into training camp a little bit here. What is the feedback that uh, you've found from Aaron Rodgers, I prob- most importantly from Aaron Rodgers?
1: Yeah, you know, it's been interesting. Um, their offense has not looked great in practice. They have they have struggled. They definitely took it on the chin today from the Texans in their joint practice. Um, they failed to get a first down in the two-minute, and they failed to score a touchdown in the red zone. Those, that, not ideal. Um, And yet, Rodgers has been actually very upbeat about where the offense is at, how he and the veteran players are growing in confidence and understanding of it, and how much he loves the scheme. Um, He ended his availability today at his locker by basically I asked him what he was happy with, and I'll explain why I asked him that in a second. Um, And he talked about how much he loves the scheme. The problem is he had spent a good chunk of his time with us uh, basically saying that he hates joint practices, which wouldn't be that big of a deal except for the fact that his new head coach in the earlier in the Bay had said how much he loved them, and absolutely 100% I want to do it again. In fact, I want to try and do it with two teams in the same camp. And you just know that when it's the... A new head coach, and Rogers has some level of reputation from all of his frustrations with McCarthy that people are going to pay attention. And, and sure enough, as as you guys can see on ESPN.com from uh, ESPN Chicago's second favorite Packers writer Rob Dymovski, you can see that that's the headline, and it should be. It it really was uh, a, an interesting dichotomy between the two's opinions and. If you're trying to build both internally and externally, perception-wise, that you're on the same page with your new head coach, and you feel good about the relationship, and you're excited, you know, making comments like he did today probably didn't help that narrative.
3: Jason, do you feel that uh, Aaron Rodgers understands the perception of the things he says, and that that will create friction going forward if things like this continue to happen?
1: Yeah, I, I look. I think. Matt Lafleur has a terrific personality. Like, he's really even-keeled. He is huge on communication and huge on competition. Like, and, and I'm not talking like every coach is competitive, right? I mean, that's who they are. But, you know, he has gone out of his way to increase the competition in their building. Not only do they end practice with a competitive period every day, which they didn't do under McCarthy, but, like, he had a basketball hoop installed in the meeting room. And they take breaks. They had a tournament, a free-throw shooting tournament, just to give guys one more venue for competing. And so Rodgers loves that about him because he's a thick competitor. Um, I think their personalities actually kind of have a really good yin and yang, whereas you would always hear Rodgers talk about all the them. They were both alphas. Um, I don't think that's the case. So I really do think Rodgers is reinvigorated and excited and likes Matt LaFleur. Um, I don't know. I'm sure he knew what Lafleur had said earlier in the day. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. Like, you know, no offense to the Mike Florio's of the world or Colin Cowherd or all you know, Skip Bayless. There's a lot of folks that, when Rogers gives them ammunition, they lose all of it to to criticize him. and, and he definitely gave them some again today.
2: So Jason, uh, how has the experience been with Matt LaFleur and how do you think he's handling his first year as head coach, especially when you had such a, a long run covering Mike McCarthy, just what the difference is like between the two in your experience?
1: Yeah. You know, it's, in, so how old are you guys?
2: So I'm 38 and black 34.
1: Okay. So I'm, I'm 47. Uh, this is my 24th year covering the team, um, And I've covered Holmgren, Ray Rhodes for one year, Mike Sherman, and Mike McCarthy, which is crazy when you've covered a team that long. There's only been four coaches. Um, McCarthy coached for 13 years. Now, uh, were there people that were frustrated with him long before he was let go last December? Yes. Um, Should he maybe have moved on from him earlier? You can make that argument. I think what they have done, and the reason why I like LaFleur, and the first impression or early impressions he's given is because he, he really seems earnest and really committed to communication. And that's one thing that broke down on both their faults between McCarthy and Rogers. Another thing that, um, you know, all those other coaches, you could, you could sense in training camp when they were going to blow their stack. And I was talking about this with Devonte Adams and he, he basically said, I don't know. When his, where his uh, blow-a-gasket level is. And it's interesting because he really, he's really he been frustrated, and he was not happy with the offense today, but he's not that, like, yeller, screamer, embarrass you guy. And so I'm curious, because that can go two ways, right? You, you treat guys like men. They either respect it and appreciate it and do what they can to live up to your expectations, or they take advantage of you, and I saw that happen with Ray Rhodes in 1999. I mean, these guys just, at the time, they just walked all over him, and that's why he was gone after a year. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how he walks the line between, you know, 39 year old guy, closer in age than most of these guys have been to their players, uh, open, honest, communicative, and not a yeller. How he balances that against when he's really ticked off, because he came off today as frustrated as he's been and he he still it wasn't like rant and rave and you know, he's not going to ever have like a Jim Mora type moment on, on SportsCenter, that's for sure.
3: And Jason, also with the age, you look at the young players that are coming in, and it seems like the millennial generation and a lot of these coaches who are younger getting uh, the head coaching jobs like the Sean McVeighs across the National Football League, it's like they're playing this game where they're more your friend than your parent type of thing. Where it yeah. feels like the older generation of football was the definitely the coach was the ruler who was you know overseeing everything, and if you did something wrong, you were punished for it. It, it seems like a different uh, change in philosophy when it comes to football coaches relating to their football players.
1: Yeah, I got a kick out of Vic Fangio, who I've always you know over the years enjoyed talking to. The times I've gotten to talk to him as an assistant, I I just think he's a one of the great characters of the NFL and. You know, him, I'm not playing any music at the practices and stuff. I mean, they're playing music all the time, and quite frankly, you know, the Packers pride themselves on this family atmosphere. They are heavily edited songs that are playing in practice
2: because
1: they are songs that do not have contain all uh, G-rated or PG-rated uh, lyrics. So he's, he is certainly trying to make all those types of connections with his young players. I would argue as kind of somebody who's in the middle of the age difference as well, that there is a happy medium. and you know you can give the guys phone time or plan your meetings to be shorter so you keep their attention or whatever reasons you have playing music, having a basketball hoop in your meeting room, but also you have to be demand. I always think the best coaches are do a couple of things. They demand and teach. And then the other thing they do is they treat everybody equally but not the same. And I think the coaches that are really successful and this can apply to any level of sports but especially the NFL is they they know what motivates each specific guy and figures out how to do that. And whether that's kicking them in the butt or embarrassing them by chewing them out in front of their team or telling them they're disappointed in them, whatever that is and to me, that will be Lafleur's challenge: is to unlock exactly what motivates Rogers best. And once he does that, I think you'll see this offense and Rogers play at a really, really high
2: level. Jason Wildy joining us of ESPN Wisconsin, and of course, like all the best writers these days, he writes for the Athletic. You can read him there, and he had an interesting piece today in regards to some advice that Brett Favre gave to Aaron Rodgers and. Jason, I mean, give us a little, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure everybody who follows sports closely knows that Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre didn't start off on on the greatest of terms, but uh, you, your whole piece talks about uh, how they've become more than just friends these days.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I, I We had Charles Woodson on our show the other day, and he's like, how the hell did this happen? Uh, I used to be friends with both of them, and now they're friends with each other, like they were enemies. But... <laughs> Uh, I think one of the things that it is, frankly, is that Rodgers is following, as I mentioned in the piece, he's really followed the Farb career arc. Like, he's now kind of, he's the older guy in the locker room. He's done, he did a lot, he's done a lot of things intentionally not the same as Farb. Like, Favre dressed in a separate locker room, and he was detached from the team. And from a player-to-player perspective, I think Rodgers does, despite some of his frustrations that he shows on the field toward receivers, I think he does a really good job in the locker room with relating with guys and connecting with them. But as he's seen most of his best friends retire. Today they celebrate Jordy Nelson's career. And he he does. He did the same thing that Favre did late in history. He looks around and he goes, Where the hell did everybody go? Oh, where are all my guys? And but it's interesting because Favre, as I mentioned earlier with the coaches that I've covered, like Favre went through those coaching changes and the the change from Holmgren to Rhodes – was significant in that he didn't have his head coach that had really brought the best out in him. But the offense didn't change. Sherm Lewis was the offensive coordinator. He became the play caller. That, wasn't a, that was kind of an extension of the Holmgren era. But when, he went, when they went to Mike Sherman and then went to Mike McCarthy, there were big changes. And, frankly, Brett Favre didn't like them all. And so if those guys are the friends that they proclaim themselves to be, uh, some of the things Favre says not only in that story, but when the two of them talk, um, I think Rodgers and LaFleur would be wise to, you know, he has a line in there about how, you know, you don't change what, what works and Aaron Rodgers works. Yeah, but I'll tell you guys this. After the, the Rams played the Vikings in week four on Thursday night football, and it was one of the few really good Thursday night games. The Rams were terrific. There was a buzz in the Packers locker room about that offense and how cool it would be to play in that offense. I'm sure the Bears guys – feel the same way about Nagy after the other offenses they've played in. And so you've got that offense now, okay? You were frustrated with the lack of creativity of McCarthy's offense and how it got in stale. Well, you've got what you want now. It's incumbent on you to make sure that it works, and you allow Matt LaFleur every opportunity to make it work.
2: Jason, uh, we'll allow you to get back to Hard Knocks. I'm being uh, my phone's blowing up, and people are telling me that uh, Gruden should get an Emmy for his opening oh, speech. Oh no! Here so we apparently go. we we've interrupted some good TV Enjoy. for you. So I'll let you get back to that. But uh, <laughs> we want to say we appreciate you hopping on this evening. We uh, can't say thanks enough. Thank you, Jason. I, I
1: gotta tell you guys, the, 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 my children cannot believe when I tell them <laughs> stories about how if you, there was a TV show on. You had to tape it on a VHS tape, or you missed it and you could never see it again. Yeah. And I just paused it, and now I can see. Every, now everybody's told me what I have to look forward to.
2: Jason, so, I'm just. No problem at all. I'm just, I'm just impressed your kids are watching TV and not just streaming everything via YouTube and Netflix. <laughs>
1: Just PBS Kids. That's all we're
2: about.
1: Perfect. All right, right, guys. Take care. Be good. Thank you, Jason.
2: Jason of ESPN Wisconsin and The Athletic joining us there. Uh, Oh, so big speech from Gruden. Apparently. wow.
3: Great. Must see TV. For the cameras, yeah.
2: No, I'm sure he had no idea that they were related.
3: No, I mean, this is why uh, this this whole thing is just <laughs> get, such a joke. Get
2: ready for a full dose this of hard is all, knocks
3: breakdown tomorrow. Oh, no, pass. Hard pass on that. And, and But also, hard pass on thinking the Raiders will be successful with Gruden at the helm. Listen, he's not... Uh, th- this is not going to be great for them.
2: $100 million man? You don't L- think... Listen, uh... he... Uh, th-
3: you know it all in the clip that they released... Right? The clip that they released, he was referencing a bunch of bowl games. Right? He was talking about nightmares. He wants to be a nightmare guy, and it's not about dreams. People have dreams, and you have to take their dreams. That was the nonsense he was spewing, right? In the little clip promoting the program. And he's talking about the bowl games, Yeah, he's listing off bowl games that haven't existed in 20 years. Like, this guy's going to motivate guys in their 24, 25, 26 years, pro players in the NFL. They really care what John Gruden's saying to them. Good luck to you. Glad I'm not a Ra- Raiders fan. And thank you for Khalil Mack, sir.
2: Yes. That it, was brilliant. Thank you for Khalil Mack, and thank you for not trading him to the Green Bay Packers. Well, yes. I mean, I, it just—you
3: do you think that Gruden's going to work out? This 10-year no. deal of this nonsense? No, not at all. Okay, not well, over-under, will he get past five and a half years as their football coach? You know, coach? I think he will because of the contract. I think what, they will feel... What year in that deal do they move into their new stadium in Vegas? Because that's what this is all oh, about. Oh, no doubt, yes. I, I this think is create the- promotion, promote the brand, get people to buy season tickets in Vegas. That's what this is.
2: This is year two... I think they'll move in in year four.
3: What's a bigger clown show, that or what's happening at Wrigley tonight? Hmm. Because not only do we have positional pitchers pitching uh, and Lester was terrible, but also Kyle Schwarber is catching now, which you know of all things that could go wrong tonight, God forbid he gets hurt in some random play catching.
2: Chris, I don't know if you know, but Kyle Schwarber was drafted as
3: a catcher. No, I know that. (laughs) He hasn't caught in quite some time, no? It's been a while. It's okay, been, so we're, been, just, we're just throwing guys out there to be catchers now. It's been a minute. That's well, a look,
2: smart move? Look, he told Joe. No, I know he was he ready told to them. be the emer- emergency catcher. He told Jeff, him that the other day. I say a lot of things, too.
3: I don't get everything I say. Just because you say that, you know, go play in the outfield
2: and hit some home runs, Schwarber. Don't be a catcher. He's Chris Black. I'm Jeff Meller. More on the ugly scene over at Wrigley. and. Jesse. uh Jesse, Jesse wearing. Will it. Fill He's going to have in. to give us another update as yes, he wears it. Yes, he will. He's going to have to wear it. Somebody has to wear this one tonight. John Lester has already worn it for the Cubs. Jesse will wear it for us next here on ESPN 1000.
0: Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app.
2: All right, so apparently the Cubs game has gone so poorly that Jesse Rogers won't even answer our calls these days. Are you Chris. serious? Jesse said no? I, I guess the it's going to. I don't know if it's going to voicemail. So just or,
3: like the Chicago Cubs, uh, Jesse's report. Jesse refuses to wear it for us tonight, Chris, like a here. positional player on the mound that the Cubs are sporting right now. You know uh, that's one of the things in baseball that I find hilarious. Uh, baseball is so um, so long that the 162. You're allowed to just have a a goof around day when you're bad when. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like any other sport, if you put together a clown show and then you, you start rolling out players that are not, like like say the Bears are down 40 nothing. would it be cute if Roquan Smith started taking snaps under center? No, people would be mad. But in baseball, it's all fun and games and lollipops. That's always annoyed me. Like why are you having a positional player and you know it's going to lead SportsCenter? You know Scott Van Pelt's going to talk about it. Look, Taylor Davis out there pitching on the mound. Throwing oh. to Kyle Schwarber, who oh, has been four years. That's great. Here, have some uh, cotton candy
2: Yeah, so some if, lollipops. This is fun. If you didn't know, we'll give you the uh, latest over at Wrigley. The Oakland Athletics thumping the Cubs 11-4 to in the bottom of the ninth. It got so bad. John Lester was forced to wear it, as Jesse told us earlier <laughs> in the show. Lester yes. went four innings, gave up. 11 runs, 10 of them earned, so it was an abysmal night for John Lester. Dwayne Underwood then came in and pitched pretty darn good. He had six strikeouts in two innings, so he looked pretty nifty in a game that was completely out of hands. And as Chris pointed out, Taylor Davis made an appearance on the mound and uh, Kyle Schwarber became the catcher when Taylor Davis went to the mound because Victor Caratini had uh, he remained in the game when there was a play at the plate early in the game, Matt Chapman actually slid into home plate. And in the process, like, I don't know if he spiked Victor Caratini's forearm, but he definitely, you know, hit it with some force yeah. uh, as the play at the plate was made. And so Caratini, while he stayed in the game, eventually was removed where, when uh, Taylor Davis took over. So,
3: so that's also something to watch here. remember, With Contreras down on the injured list and what you have... You don't have a lot of depth at that position. So if Carantini has to go on the injured list at some point here because of what took place tonight, that's going to be a major problem going forward. And that's why I'm not happy that I get it. That he He's your third emergency catcher, Schwarber, but uh, let's not do that. You kind of need it, his stick, right? I you just need his it, bat.
2: Well, it was odd because they moved Taylor Davis from, from catcher, catcher to, to go pitch, pitch. Yeah. and then moved Schwarber now, when, when okay, let me ask you they, this question: they, they brought Schwarber into the game. Why wouldn't catch. you just let
3: Schwarber pitch in that that setting? No, I'm serious. It's why well, why would you risk I, injury of having him crouch behind the plate like that when he doesn't actually do it ever? That's interesting because
2: I don't know, you know, what the protocol is in a clubhouse when the manager wants to go to a position player. I don't know what proper protocol is. Does Joe kind of just call around? the club because
3: hey I, who wants to be the joke who, tonight hey, who
2: kind of in who, some who ways wants to be the clown it's not always like completely like obvious it's one of those weird situations where it's like all right because remember a big deal was made when anthony rizzo mm-hmm. went to the mound because he had always dreamed about oh, it was doing so much it. fun
3: i mean who cares about wins and losses when you uh wait what what happened last year um theo epstein said in october that uh if they they gotta take every game seriously but who cares he lost anyway See, am I the only person that gets annoyed about this with baseball? Uh, hmm.
2: Uh, yeah, it doesn't annoy me because I understand that it's. Look, it's the it's the oddity that you, is. Would you prefer just say mercy rule? So then you don't no, even have to get I, to that I'm, point. I'm just okay with the like. I, it doesn't bother me when the game's out of hand. That it, I find it. You know, I don't. I don't. I don't find it humorous. I guess it doesn't bother me either way. I just understand that. Team's going to say, you know what? Go soak up a few innings for us, so that our because it's become a bullpen game, and and every 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 relief pitcher who comes into the game is is hashed over day in and day out. And so when Steve Sechek comes in a day before and gives up three earned runs because he he doesn't have it for one day, everybody's immediately concerned that all of a sudden the bullpen woes are back. And you know, look, they're dealing too with a couple of injuries we mentioned. Uh, yesterday, of course, Craig Kimbrell went on the injured list. But of course, today as well, Brandon Kinsler had a pectoral injury and he was placed on the injured list. And Pedro Strope was just brought off it, although I'm not sure if they wanted to necessarily bring Pedro Strope into today's game because he has not been used. And if I think if Stropy was really like in top notch form, you could have easily eased him back in in a blowout situation just to make sure. That he was ready to go, so I kind of find it, I guess, curious that Strope, who was brought off the injured list today, was not used in this situation because it would have seemed like a good time to just say, "Hey, go out there, and make sure you're up to snuff coming off the injured list in this yeah. situation." Because look, I think everybody was watching Strope when he went on the injured list initially, saying, "What's going on here? Why? Why is why is he not the usual Pedro Strope that Cubs fans have become used to?" And you were saying, well, he is he injured? What's the deal here? And then he does go on the injured list, but only stays for 10 days and is back before you know it. So I'm curious every day when I watch what's going on in this Cubs bullpen these days.
3: Here's my other question with the, the blowout games where you decide to just give up and mm-hmm. put a positional pitcher, a positional player to go pitch. Why not offensively just bunt until the game's over? The opposition, you mean? No, like if if you're losing and Mm -hmm. you've already given up and you're rolling out a positional player to to be a mockery of the game, why not just lay down the bat, give three bunts, move on Uh, with your day? You know Why?
2: counting stats
3: well i baseball as, players as we're witnessing right now is nick Cassiano's uh just a double off the wall and like his league, the, le- his league like,
2: leading 42nd double i believe the, the cubs are trying to put together what
3: they're they're down by rally cap seven right now Chris hats, taking hacks. Chris. Uh, I, i'm just saying it, it, things i think about uh can i ask you about this uh, did you see this news in the nba today uh the ncaa has issued rules for agents and so this is on ESPN.com. The NCAA has issued a memo to agents on Monday outlining a new certification requirement to represent players testing NBA draft waters. In the memo obtained by ESPN, the NCAA outlined new criteria for agents. Here they are a bachelor's degree, NBA PA certification that's at least three consecutive years, professional liability insurance, and completion of an in person exam taken at the NCAA office in downtown Indianapolis in early November. So what this has been sent out and people are responding to also has a response from LeBron James tonight as well because the bachelor degree requirement has led many people to believe that this is in reference to Agent Rich Paul, who is LeBron's representation for clutch sports because he does not have a bachelor's degree. So many looking at the sport, and you know, uh, Clutch Sports represents LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Ben Simmons, Draymond Green, who just got a new deal a couple days ago, a hundred mm-hmm. million dollar deal. Rich Paul doing great work with his agency and his branch of Clutch Sports, and also connecting with other mediums, uh, movies, and television as well. A part of this LeBron James empire. This is a direct shot at. Rich Paul and LeBron James from the NCAA saying, if you want access to our players, if you want access to a kid that will decide at some point whether or not he wants to stay in school, skip school altogether, or play in college basketball, you have to have a bachelor degree, which means Chris, which means Rich Paul has to go get a bachelor degree if he wants to re- represent a player who's making this decision.
2: No doubt. And as you mentioned, uh, LeBron James tweeted about three hours ago, hashtag the Rich Paul rule. In addition to that, he tweeted out multiple other things. Bunch of uh, laughing, crying emojis. Can't stop, won't stop. They, in in capital letters, they big mad and scared. Nothing will stop this movement and culture over here. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, Smiley face emoji with the peace sign emoji. So LeBron James basically... Calling out this rule and calling it the Rich Paul rule, and uh, he also has retweeted most multiple NBA players who have sent shout-outs to Rich Paul or have called it rich the Rich Paul rule. Um, good, uh, David Aldridge tweeted out, "Good Lord, you all scared of Rich Paul?" LeBron retweeted that. You also see that uh, Tristan Thompson tweeted out, "Rich Paul goats." LeBron retweeted that, and then LeBron James tweeted out hashtag stay woke and he tweeted out the sports illustrated article which featured rich paul and he highlighted a couple of sentences in that story notably these where the story says quote rich is now a major threat to every large corporate agency that exists that's from chris lucci who represents nuggets for wilson chandler another agent uh another quote lucci There's trembling throughout the industry, and that's why some people are taking shots at Rich. Rich, of course, being Rich Paul. And then finally, uh, here's the common refrain. LeBron James made one of his boys a woefully unqualified member of his entourage, his agent. Quote, he didn't graduate from college, so how'd he get certified, says one competitor. So there you go. A bunch of uh, the competition not quite happy with Rich Paul, and um, perhaps they... They, uh, they they used their influence with the NCAA to create the Rich Paul rule.
3: Now, and, um, to add to this, and you might say, well, Draymond, Anthony Davis, LeBron, they're all established stars who are being uh, represented by Clutch Sports. Why is the NCAA so worried about this? Because many of those individuals may in the future not even go to college. They'll just go straight to the NBA. The thing to point out from last year, this draft that took place this summer, uh, there was a player, Darius Baisley, who was drafted by the Portland yep. Trailblazers. Darius Baisley was a top point guard prospect, and he decided not to go to school. Instead, he signed with Clutch Sports mm-hmm. as his agency, and he took an internship. Yep, And for that internship, he was paid money. To be an intern for a year and then wait it out and to practice and get ready for the NBA draft. And he was drafted in the first round of this draft by the Portland Trailblazers. Thus, creating a new avenue for a player to not go to college, but also wait out the one-and-done rule that the NBA has in place so players can't jump directly from high school to the NBA. And and find an alternative way to get to the league. And Rich Paul is the one who orchestrated this and allowed this player, Darius Baisley, to not only get paid for a year of training and getting ready for the draft, but also getting drafted and then also signing a contract with New Balance when he got to the league for a shoe deal. Yes. Which, you know, and, and, if,
2: and if, did you if I'm not mistaken? What was the, the, the salary that Blaisley received for the year as an intern? What is it? Do you have it in you? It was a $1 million internship. Yeah.
3: So, I mean, that's that's fantastic. And, Which is great uh, for Blaisley. Uh, Basketball-wise, uh, I heard and read that uh, Blaisley was really good in Summer League as well and, and good with the Portland Trailblazers. So, like, this is going to work out, and it's another avenue that Clutch Sports has kind of created yep. that allows a player who is good could say you know what i don't want to deal with the ncaa i'm going to do this and i'm going to get around what you're trying to implement around what restricts me from earning power and like the one thing that i think is so interesting in this whole conversation is in any walk of life there isn't a set requirement in most jobs that you have to do uh this amount of schooling you know there are there are jobs that require schooling Absolutely. But, like, for example, radio, there's no one that says that you have to have X number of of years in school to do a radio show, to host a radio show, right? Um, And and what's interesting is that people want to make basketball players, for some reason, go to school when it's like, why can't they make money? And the thing that always sticks out in my head is if you make the money first, you can always go back to school. Of course. You know, school's a lot harder when you have nothing. When you have no money... School's pretty tough. Yep. Having to pay for things when you of don't course. have money, having to get an extra job when you're trying to do work and do all this, all this stuff, and, and you're trying to piecemeal everything together. But if you have the money, which is what you're trying to get at the end of the day by going to
2: school. No doubt.
3: You can go to school at your leisure and you can actually accomplish something you want to. I've never understood that in this country.
2: Oh, well. I mean, let's. let's, I mean, it's completely backwards. And
3: congratulations to you. You have kids, so good luck on paying for college and all that. But I'm just (laughs) saying it's something that I've never understood.
2: The the plan is just to get my children internships with New Balance. All right. Well, there you go. And honestly, if it's only for a year, I'll be okay. Do you need Rich Paul's number? I could uh, help you with that. (sighs) I definitely could use it. Uh, He's Chris Black. I'm Jeff Meller, filling in for Jonathan Hood here on Under the Hood. It's ESPN 1000. Under the Hood, here on ESPN 1000, I'm Jeff Meller along with Chris Black, filling in for Hoodie this evening. If you uh, want to interact with us on Twitter, I'm at Jeff underscore Miller. Chris is at Chris Black. Chris? The Cubs game has the clown show has ended on the north side. The Oakland Athletics, they went 11 to four tonight.
3: And the story is John Lester, four innings pitched, 10 hits, 11 runs, 10 earned. He walked three batters tonight, six strikeouts. He gave up two home runs. He threw 94 pitches. His ERA is now at 4.46, but he was bad from the start. Uh, The A's jumped them early. They scored a bunch of runs in the second inning. Uh, They scored eight runs in the second inning, and then they added more in the uh, fourth as well as they get to 11. And the Cubs uh, had some position players pitching. You had a a Tyler Davis in there uh, hurling for the Chicago Cubs. He gave you one inning of work, gave up three hits, but no runs on his 12 pitches. Uh, So there you go. You have a positional player on the mound. It's all fun and uh, nothing matters because it's baseball.
2: And forgive me if I missed it, but uh, Taylor Davis was tossing to Kyle Schwarber, who got a little bit of uh, Uh, game action as a catcher. Yeah, that's part of the expression. Yeah, which uh, Chris was thoroughly amused by. Well, I mean,
3: listen, you don't (laughs) want Schwarber to get hurt, so I I don't want him going out and having to catch a catcher. You know what I'm saying? Like use
2: someone else. I think that's the point. Is look, if your emergency pitcher is Taylor Davis, who right now is your backup catcher, which then thrusts Kyle Schwarber into the catching element. That's probably not what you want. What's David Bodie doing besides hitting 240? Can we uh, get him out there? Can he hurl for you? The Cubs fall to 61 and 52 now. Two games up on the Cardinals. Thanks to our boy Sean Davis for producing this mess. He's Chris Black. I'm Jeff Maller. Thanks for listening, folks. This is ESPN 1000. Jonathan
1: Hood.
0: I'm so good! On ESPN 1000.